Psalm 38. O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head. Like a heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult in my heart. O Lord, all my sighing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me, and the light of my eyes, it is also gone from me. My friends and companions stand aloof from my plague, and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares, and those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all day long. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear, like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth are no rebukes. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord my God, who will answer. For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boasts against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I am sorry for my sin. But my foes are vigorous. They are mighty. And many are those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. It's God's word for God's people. You may be seated. Let's pray before we get into Psalm 38. Father, you breathed our life into existence. The breath that we breathe now, the life that we have now, is because you have been gracious to breathe it into us. And we know, according to 2 Timothy 3, that you breathed Scripture. And so we look at Psalm 38 this morning, and we know that that breath, the life that we need, is found on these pages. And so we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word and that you would show us how to live in your word. Thank you for your grace. It's because of your grace that we can depend on you to show up this morning. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, When I was a kid, we used to go to a place called Champions Fun Center. Um, If any of you know what that is, it was a place, I don't know if there was one in Omaha or not, but there's one in Lincoln, and it was kind of like Chuck E. Cheese, but it's like an arcade place for kids where you go, you play your arcade game, you get tickets, and then you spend them on stuff that was way cheaper than the tickets costed you. Um, When I was a kid, I would always spend my tickets on the same dumb trinket, and that trinket was a little animal flashlight. Um, if you know anything what I'm talking about, it was like, imagine like a little rubber, like hippo or lion, and you would open the mouth and it would make an animal noise and then it would light up, but it like hardly produced any light. So I would like buy 10 of these 
And then they, I get home in a dark room and you point at a book and it's not even enough light to see the letters. And then the light usually dies within 48 hours. And then you lose it. Like that was, the, but I always bought these dumb little animal lights. The light itself was pathetic. Like I couldn't see anything in the dark, but I don't know why I kept buying them. If I were to give you an illustration for Psalm 38, it would be that we are, it's like you're walking in a long, dark tunnel all alone with no guidance except for a tiny little animal flashlight with little glim- little glimmers of light so you can see kind of where to step next, where to put your hand as you're navigating the tunnel. But for the most part, it's terrifying and dark and alone. That's the feel. That's the tone of Psalm 38. So I'm really grateful to the pastoral team here at Providence to really give me a t-ball, kind of set me up. But the reason why it's like that is because Psalm 38 is David pleading to the Lord for mercy because he believes that the discipline of the Lord has fallen upon him because of his sin. So David's being disciplined by God. And because of that discipline, Psalm 38 is written. And here's what I want to ask us to think about this morning. Think about a time when you were in the dark tunnel, like the darkest moments of your life. I would imagine that many of us have those recurring addictions or trauma or tragedies in our life, different sin that's hurt other people, being hurt by other people's sin, illnesses, the dark seasons in life where it feels like there is no light and we're mostly alone. Because I would argue that everyone here is in one of three camps. Either you're in that season now, or you just came out of that season and can remember it vividly. And if neither of those is true, the third camp would be someone who is not in one, doesn't remember one, but such is life, will probably one day be in a dark season. And I have good news that the Bible is not foreign to our darkness and pain and hopelessness. But Psalm 38 is a textbook example that the Bible, that God knows how we feel in the dark seasons where there's hardly any light to shine. And he gives us a way to respond. The two points for our sermon this morning, which I would believe are the main point of this text. The main point of the sermon is titled, when all that's left is pain, I will call upon your name. When all that's left is pain, I will call upon your name. The two points of the sermon are, when all that's left is pain, and then you can guess it. The second point is, I will call upon your name. And what I want to do in our first point is I want to prove to you that Psalm 38 actually applies to you. Because it gets really easy to read Psalm 38 and be like, wow, sounds like he had a rough time. Nothing to do with me. And I want to encourage you. I want to prove to you that that's not true. And then after I prove to you that that's not true, we have to ask the question, what do I do then in the dark seasons of my life? So let's start in Psalm 38, verses 1 and 2. A psalm of David for the memorial offering, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. It says, for the memorial offering, other translations say for remembrance. For God to remember something. He doesn't need, I mean, he knows everything. For God to remember something is David pleading that God would act on behalf of him. That he would remember David and act in his favor. What does that specifically mean? We see in verses one and two that David says, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. For your arrows have sunk into me and your hand has come down on me. 
He says, God's arrows of discipline have pierced into him. And God's hand has pressed down on him, which is interesting for our culture because very few times do we actually believe that God is disciplining us. We have, I mean, there might be some people that every time something happens, they're like, the Lord's out to get me. The Lord's disciplining me. But for the most part, I think most of us don't view things that happen in our life as God's discipline. But David is convinced that God is disciplining him for his sin. And he says, your errors have sunk into me. Your hand comes down on me. So David's being pressed and pierced by his affliction. So the question is, what is that affliction? Verses three through eight. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of all my, because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and prostrate. All the day long, I go about mourning, for my sides are filled with burning, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. Clearly, the affliction that David was facing was some sort of illness, some sort of sickness. Like I said, I want to prove to you that this actually applies to you. So the question is, what was he actually going through? Some people believe that he was going through leprosy, that David had leprosy. My, there's no soundness in my flesh. There's no health in my bones. Some people believe that he had some sort of side pain, kidney problems, because his wounds stink and fester. He's utterly bowed down. I mean, he's constantly in pain. There's no soundness in his flesh. But I want to encourage you with something, that we don't actually know what was wrong with David. And here's why that's good news. Because if, if Psalm 38 told us specifically what was wrong with David, that he was going through leprosy or kidney problems, then the only people that this psalm would apply to would be lepers in the room and Andrew Rutten. He gave me permission to say that. But, but the reality is that it doesn't tell us which means we are looking so much bigger at than just, oh man, if this just, I mean, I'm not sick. I'm not going through side pain. So Psalm 38 is not for me. This is so much more about the pain that David is experiencing. Don't miss the reality, the intermingling of the pain of his soul with his body. When he says, as he's talking about all of this, he says in verse four, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. In verse 8, I'm feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult or the confusion of my heart. This is far less about his actual sickness and far more, when we think about this, about him in deep and utter anguish over the things going on in his life. Complete and utter darkness. So if you believe that this doesn't apply to you because you don't have leprosy, you're wrong. It does apply to us. The second thing I want to do to prove to us that it applies to us is I want us to notice something. David's not complaining about his sin. David is pleading that the Lord would relinquish his discipline from him. Look here in verse three. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They're too heavy for me. David does not believe that he is wrongfully ill. He wholeheartedly knows that his sickness is because of his own sin and foolishness. 
He knows that everything that's going on in his life is because he is a wicked man who's done wicked things. And so it's not complaining to God, but he knows that his own sin brought this upon him. So here's my question. How many of us in the room say, yeah, I get it. We need to go to the Lord when we're in pain, but that's for the people who just have bad stuff happen to them. I'm the reason why I'm in the mess that I'm in. It was my sin that caused all of this pain. It was my own failure that led to all of this hurt. And so when it's my sin, I need to deal with it. And then I'll go to God. Psalm 38 is the answer that tells you that is wrong. Every time that we sin, we can go to God. In our own sin and wickedness, we can still go to God. So you can't sit back and say, nope, this isn't for me because it's my own fault that I'm in the pain that I'm in. Even in the midst of that, we can still run to the Lord. As we keep reading, it was more than just sickness that David was going through. He says in verse 9, O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it has also gone from me. I just want to read that again for anyone that, I mean, has literally felt these words or maybe feels them right now. O Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. My heart throbs, my strength fails me. And the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. Verse 11, my friends and companions stand aloof from my plague and my nearest kin stand far off. Those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin and meditate treachery all the day long. So he says, not only am I sick, but everybody who loved me has left me and I'm completely alone. Family, friends want nothing to do with me likely because of his sickness but or because of his sin, but he is completely alone. He has no one to rely on. And then more than that, the people that are against him, his enemies, are prevailing against him because he is sick. And so it's going to be really tempting for us to say, okay, that is not me. I'm not sick. People haven't abandoned me. And I don't even know if I have enemies. Not for me. But I want to remind you what, how we read a psalm. When we read a psalm, oftentimes we like to read it like Paul wrote it, really linearly, like argument, this happened, this happened, this happened, therefore this is true. Or like a story with a climax and a resolution, but that's not the psalms. The psalms are poetry, they're art. And so instead of a linear way to read it, when we read psalms, we want to read a psalm like a surround sound speaker, where there's a point being made and the different verses are speaking into that point to give us a more vibrant picture of it. It's like a painting, and every verse is giving us new colors, depressing colors in Psalm 38. But it's painting a picture for us that I hope you're starting to see. He's not saying that this is just for people who are sick, abandoned, and lonely, and have enemies. He's painting a picture of the complete and utter anguish and hopelessness of his soul. He has no one to rely on. Everyone is against him, and he has no soundness in his own flesh. And what might be the pinnacle of David's pain is 13 and 14. But I am like a deaf man, I do not hear. Like a mute man who does not open his mouth, I have become like a man who does not hear, and in whose mouth there are no rebukes. Complete and utter hopelessness. So I have a question for you, Providence. 
What if the psalm ended with verse 14? Just period on the end of the sentence. I've become like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth there are no rebukes. That's the end of the psalm. Be fun to reflect on over lunch. But my question is, how many of us end our psalm right there when we're in the midst of pain? This is all that's going on. There's pain in my life, period. And that's it. About six weeks ago, um, Andrew and Jared reached out to me to preach Psalm 38. I thought it was a typo in the email. I was like, why would anyone preach Psalm 38? Then I realized you guys are going through the Psalms, so it just, it's the next one in line. Um, and then I forgot about it for a little bit. And what happened, but here's what happened about two weeks later. I had a week of my life that was so steeped in sin that I couldn't even hardly think. Like every chance I could get, I found myself running to distraction. Social media, Facebook, Netflix, YouTube, just distraction. And we all know that when distraction creeps in, or when distraction's plaguing our lives, the next thing that creeps in is temptations. For me, that's sexual temptation. And so my whole week is steeped in just sexual temptation, trying to, these thoughts that are just plaguing my mind, and then my baby won't sleep. And so the, the idol of sleep in my life comes roaring like a lion, and I find myself at 2.30 in the morning screaming at my wife. And so I wake up the next morning empty. I mean, my own sin, my own decisions have led me to a place where I can hardly even feel anything. And I just got done out in an outburst of the people that I love the most. And then I remember, I've got to preach in three weeks. And so I open up Psalm 38 and I started to read it. And it was in that moment, I just started crying over this text because I'd been living for a week like the Psalm ended at verse 14. That we just put a period on it. Here's all the stuff that because of my foolishness that I'm going through, but it doesn't end there. It keeps going. David actually shows us how we respond in the midst of our pain, even when we're the ones who have caused it. When all that's left is pain, it continues, I will call upon your name. Verse 15. But for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. There's our response. In the dark seasons of pain and suffering and turmoil, David says, but for you, O Lord, do I wait. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer me. This is sweet. We got to check this out. In this verse, the, the Lord's name is spelled or said in three different ways. The first one is Lord, all caps, L-O-R-D. The second one is Lord, one cap, just the L. And the last one is my God. The first one is in the original language, Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel who loves and protects and is faithful to Israel. Lord, just capital L, is Adonai, master, protector, Lord in terms of king and master. My God, Elohim, which means transcendent, being, omniscient, in control of everything. And so what David's doing right now is what I like to call rummaging the cabinets. When I was moving from my apartment to the house we live in now, it was the day before we moved and I was hungry for lunch and I'm too cheap to go buy anything. So I opened the fridge to see what's left in there and we're moving. So everything's like emptied out in the house already. 
And all that's in there is a box of noodles, an egg, ketchup, and pickles. So guess what I had for lunch that day, Providence? I made noodles. I put an egg in it, and it was flavorless because it's noodles and an egg, so I put ketchup on it. And so I ate my pathetic lunch that day alone. I threw away the pickles because I'm not crazy. I'm not going to put pickles on it. (laughs) But I didn't have anything left. And so all that I had to do, all that I had was to just take what I had and make it work. David is rummaging the cabinets for everything that he can muster up in his strength to say about God. Because I can promise you, David didn't feel this. What David felt was pain and loneliness and turmoil. David didn't feel it, but he put together everything that he knew about God. What he knew in that moment was what kept him and preserved him. He says he knew that God was faithful to his people. He knew that God was his master, his Lord, his protector. He knew that God was in control of everything. Those are the things that he knew And he puts those together, almost throws it at the verse and says, I know this about you, God, with one of the most profound ways to end the verse. It is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. We've got to remember that David had no real concrete assurance that God would actually answer. And I'm sure in this moment, he did not feel as though God would answer. But he steps out in faith and says, it is you, O Lord, my God, who will answer. You will answer me in my pain. I want to remind you, church, that we never, ever have to wonder with even a shadow of doubt if the Lord will answer us. Why? All the Sunday school kids said, because of Jesus. Let me reread some of Psalm 38 with you and tell, tell me if this sounds like anybody that you know. He was disciplined by God's wrath, not in the fatherly discipline, but in the wrath of God being poured out on him. The Lord's arrows sunk into Jesus. Isaiah 53 tells us that God was pleased to crush him. Your hand has come down on me. There was no soundness in his flesh, no health in his bones. His friends betrayed him. His enemies prevailed against him. Everything talked about in Psalm 38 was true of Jesus. And in verse 4, my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. He's right. David is right. His burdens were too heavy for him. And those same burdens were laid on Jesus as the wrath of God was poured out on the cross. And we can know this, church. We can know this, that we will never have to go as low as Jesus went. Jesus went to the ultimate depths of pain and being forsaken and sorrow so that we don't have to. Because the worst thing that you and I will ever experience is worldly pain and separation and abandonment, but we will never experience the pain and abandonment from God. We will never have to wonder if God will answer because Jesus Christ paid the payment so that he will always have our ear. He will always hear our prayers. Always. We never have to wonder. After verse 15, David does something that we would like to think doesn't happen. We would like that David appeals to the Lord and then it's fixed. It's all better. 
But that is not what happened in Psalm 38. As we keep reading, it says, For I said, only let them not rejoice over me, who boast against me when my foot slips. For I am ready to fall, and my pain is ever before me. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin, but my foes are vigorous. They are mighty, and many of those who hate me wrongfully. Those who render me evil for good accuse me because I follow after good. So we need to catch this. If you're in the season of darkness and pain, calling upon the Lord's name doesn't fix our problems. It doesn't just magically make everything better. But it sounds like David's literally still going through all the same stuff. He's still going through it, but there is a slight change that happens if you catch it. At the beginning of the Psalm, before 15, it was all a description. It was all, here's my pain, here's my agony, here's my abandonment. After verse 15, instead of a description, it's more confession. So David's heart changes marginally as we move on in the Psalm, where he switches and he says things like, I'm ready to fall, my pain is ever before me. I confess my sin, my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. And in verse 20, those who render me evil for good accuse me because I fall after good. In other words, I want to be righteous. I want to fall after good. And so what happens in this psalm is once David stops looking solely at himself and those who abandon him, and he appeals to what he knows about God, he changes to what we would call repentance. I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. I want to do righteousness. I want to do good. Focusing on God led David to a, a place of repentance in the midst of his pain. In the midst of it, his pain was never fixed. So hear me, your pain will not be fixed by calling out to the Lord. It might, but it's not guaranteed. But I do guarantee you that the more that we think about God, the more that we will be led to repentance. And the psalm ends, Do not forsake me, O Lord, O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. What started at the beginning was a plea for mercy. Rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And what ends the psalm is a plea for grace. Be near to me. Make haste to help me. So the beginning of the psalm, David's saying, please withhold what I deserve. And at the end, he says, please give me what I don't deserve. The bookends of what we as Christians exist off of. Mercy, not getting what we do deserve. And grace, given what we do not deserve. That's how he begins and ends. And I want to remind you, David was a pre-Christ believer. His understanding of grace was a token of grace that covered his sin through a priestly sacrificial system. And there was no guarantee. He had no cognitive guarantee that he would not be forsaken. You and I have every guarantee that we will never be forsaken. So when we cry out to the Lord, do not forsake me, O Lord, I promise you he has not forsaken you. Because what did Jesus cry out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken, completely and totally forsaken so that we do not have to be. If you notice again, he rummages the cabinets again to close the psalm. Oh Lord, oh my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me. Oh Lord, my salvation. It's beautiful. He's appealing to what he knows, not what he feels. And so I want to I want to give us a few applications when we look at this text. When we're in the middle of dark seasons, and it feels like we barely have any light. And all that's around us is abandonment. We feel alone. We feel pain. In light of Psalm 38, I want to challenge you to do a few things. The first 
is rummage the cabinets. Sit down, not actually. Like when we're in pain, go eat more food. Sit down with your Bible and the journal and write down everything that you can think of to be true about God as you look at your Bible. Write down 20 things. And after you've got 20, do 20 more. And that's 40 now. And after you've got 40, do 20 more, which leaves you with about 60. Here's why I say do that many, because the first 20 are usually Sunday school answers, which is not bad. Those are not bad things to remember. But as we continue to just rum it of like, what's everything I know to be true about God? It's probably like 45 and 50 that are going to be, man, that is true about God in this season. I know that to be true. So I can speak out in faith and say, God, I know that you're this. And I know that you'll answer me. Rummage the cabinets. Take our minds off of where we are and put it on who we know God to be. The second thing, never let our pleas be without, with, never let our pleas start with, without mercy. What am I trying to say? Never let our pleas go without starting with mercy and ending with grace. So he starts the psalm pleading for mercy and ends it pleading for grace. Charles Spurgeon quoted it this way, saying, never dive into the pits of our sin without firmly securing a rope to Christ. Because so often I think we live in introspection of here's my wickedness, here's my suffering, here's my trial, and we just go deeper and deeper and deeper and the light just gets less and less and less. What the gospel frees us to do is reflect on our wickedness while also knowing that we are creatures who need mercy and grace. So never, never go with this plead of Psalm 38 without remembering to plead for mercy and plead for grace and go to God saying, God, I need you to do for me what I don't deserve and withhold from me what I do deserve. As we go through trials, we need to rely on what we know, not what we feel. When all that's left is pain, I will call upon your name. Now I want to end with a story just about Four or five months ago, I was looking through a podcast that I listened to, and one of the titles of the pod, one of the episodes was What Miserable Christians Sing, which I thought was kind of weird because I was like, one, they're either calling me miserable, and I don't love that, or two, I thought it was just going to be like crusty old Christians that were like, these are the worst songs in contemporary Christianity. And I was like, I don't really want to listen to that either. That doesn't sound very fun. But to my surprise and my delight, that wasn't at all what it was. What the podcast talked about was that too often in American Christianity, we treat the church like an energy drink. Of like, everyone come in, we'll give you a sugar rush to get you hyped up until the next week. But the reality is, is that when we come together as God's people, we are coming from all different corners of this city, from all different walks of life, experiencing all sorts of different pain and trials in our life. And so this is a unique time when we can actually come together and sing songs that remind us that we're not in this alone and that God has not forsaken us. So the, the, the episode was a plea to not just be an energy drink. Yeah, Christianity is awesome. Let's keep doing our thing. But actually to remind her that we have comfort in our pain. If I were to name Psalm 38, it would be what miserable Christians read. Because the Bible is not surprised by our pain and our agony or our sin. And we can go to Psalm 38 to remember what we do when all that's left is pain. We will call upon his name.
Father, thank you that we have another morning where your word gets to be preached and we get to understand more about who you are. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that we know no matter what happens in our life, we will never be forsaken by you. We look at David who could step out in faith and say, God, you will answer. And in the same way, we can step out with rock solid assurance and confidence that you will answer us. You will hear our pain. You will hear our suffering. You will hear our agony. You will hear our misery. And the reason why you will hear it is because your son came and felt the ultimate agony and misery on the cross. Your son felt the total weight of our sin and then rose three days later. Lord, we pray for anyone in the room that does not know Jesus, has not trusted in Jesus. We know that those promises do not apply. But that in Jesus Christ, there is hope and salvation. So we pray that no one would feel like they have to have some sort of formulaic answer to be saved. But if we see our sin and see your goodness, that people here this morning would bow the knee to Jesus and would fall upon his mercy. Jesus, you're worthy of that. You're worthy of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father.